welcome to the Sanction Space podcast. I am Justine Walker, Global Head of Sanctions, Compliance and Risk at ACAMS. This series brings you the stories behind sanctions. What are the trends? Who are the key people? And how do the threads of the past shape future thinking? Today, I am actually being interviewed. We have a special edition and the interviewer will be my colleague, Kieran Beer, who actually has his own very successful podcast, Financial Crime Matters. So I'm really looking forward to this opportunity today. Well, it's a real pleasure for me to be here with my colleague, Dr. Justine Walker. We don't get to do this all the time, Justine, but I think this is a great time to do it because of the looming importance of what's happening with regard to Ukraine and Russia and the European and US response to that. You've just come off of this amazing conference in which Russia was a major topic. Russia's buildup of troops around Ukraine that captured the attention of the world. Peter Harrell, special assistant to the president and senior director for international economics and competitiveness at the National Security Council spoke. And he made it clear that in the event of further invasion into Ukraine by Russia, there would be sweeping sanctions. Can you explain how these sanctions are more likely to be severe than what we've seen in the past? Kieran, it's great to talk to you today. And yes, I think we should do this more often, but we have, as you've said, just concluded our global sanction summit and Russia was top of the agenda. So in terms of what is on the table, well, in diplomatic terms, all sanctions options are on the table. The rhetoric is really saying, you know, the potential to target the biggest financial institutions, key sectors, key individuals. So everything's there. But I do think you need to look at where is this diplomatic rhetoric? Where is the threat of sanctions coming from? And you have different players. You've got the Congress side. You've got the U.S. administration. You have the EU and the U.K. They're the main players who are really talking about sanctions. By nature, U.S. Congress is much more forward leaning. So they are sort of proposing a whole raft of sanctions around Russian officials, financial institutions, sovereign debt, companies in the extractive sector, Nord Stream 2. In terms of the administration, Peter Howell, who you mentioned, opened our global summit and his line was very much start high, stay high. And that's really quite different to what we've seen in the past, where you would expect a more gradual escalation of sanctions. You know, the US are not going to sort of signpost precisely who they're going to sanction, but it was pretty clear from the remarks from the White House, OFAC, others, you know, attending, was that we are going to see a real ranching up of export control restrictions. You could see key banks targeted probably bigger banks than we've seen in the past, and that's going to be significant, and also just major areas of the Russian economy. So it will be different to what we've seen in the past, that's for sure. But one of the things I just do want to say is a word of caution here. The big challenge around what may or may not happen will be what happens in the absence of a full-scale invasion, because that sort of space between escalation and de-escalation is going to be really open to interpretation. So the transatlantic dialogue will be looking at what do they put in place by way of sanctions in the event it's not a full-scale invasion. And I think that's going to be a challenging area. So a lot depends on what actions Russia takes. If it is a full-scale invasion, then we can expect a full-scale response. If it's something less than that, then, you know, I think those options on the table might vary quite a bit. 
Let's just deal with for a moment this full-scale invasion scenario. As you said, there's a number of things on the table. We don't know all of them. And one of the things that Peter Harrell said was, we can expect some pain from the financial institutions and corporations that will be asked to implement sanctions and to respond to that full-scale invasion if it happens. And he made a point of saying that the idea was that Russia would feel more pain, but, but nonetheless, that there would be some pain. Do we have a, a sense, as you heard from people at the conference from the financial sector, what they're doing to prepare, what they see as the pain, and what perhaps the administration, the Biden administration, sees as the pain that might come out of these sanctions? Well, you know, there is always a wider impact when you impose sanctions, and it is pretty clear that there will be impact for EU, US, international corporates, financial institutions, and others. If we do see wide-scale sanctions and we see major export restrictions, that's clearly going to impact quite key exporters. Some are in the US, some will be in the EU, some will be in Asia even. But I think you know, we also have to keep in mind that for the EU, Russia is the fourth largest trading partner. So fourth or fifth, you know, depending what statistics you actually look at. And for Russia, the EU is actually its biggest trading partner. So the interconnectivity, certainly between the EU and Russia, is vast. Russia accounted for just under half of the EU's natural gas imports. So again, it's going to be very much around what type of sanctions are being imposed. But if you look at, you know, let's say a major financial institution is sanctioned, these financial institutions are so globally interconnected, that is going to send massive shockwaves across the whole globe. So we are going to see big impact. Now, there was a lot of discussion at the summit around what institutions may be sanctioned. And clearly, as I said earlier, the US are not going to say we're going to sanction this bank or that bank. But I think we are thinking it's going to be potentially maybe a third or fourth or fifth biggest type of bank we could see being the target for sanctions. If not more, you know, there could be a broader number of banks, but that's certainly going to impact on people's credit, people's liquidity. I mean, many of these banks have financial investments in Europe. Many European banks have operations in Russia. It is going to be a huge unpacking in a way we haven't actually seen before. So, you know, we just need to be super mindful that this is going to be a major, major deal if we do see broad sanctions and it will impact every area of the economy. I think that's quite clear to see. Well, one of the things that is put out there sometimes is uh, SWIFT, you know, barring Russia from using SWIFT. And I think at some point you quipped during the course of the conference that perhaps SWIFT was not on the table. I guess I have two questions. Is SWIFT not on the table? What's the significance of that for those that may think that SWIFT is a bird or, or some other description of SWIFT? Also, after addressing the SWIFT question, can you say a little bit about what were talked about during the conference as best practices by financial institutions in preparing for coming sanctions if they happen. Yeah, so in relation to SWIFT, is it on the table? Isn't it on the table? It was notably absent in Peter's opening remarks. Now, we have heard from different areas of the administration and particularly from Congress, you know, SWIFT has been, you know, mentioned quite a number of times. And 
if we just look back to the context of SWIFT, you know, the idea of excluding Russia from SWIFT was first proposed in 2014, after the invasion of Crimea, essentially. At that time, there was a really strong push from the US side, potentially, to sanction SWIFT. But there was even a bigger pushback from European allies. They felt that, you know, first of all, SWIFT is actually headquartered in the EU. So for the US to sanction an EU payment messaging service, that would be quite significant. Also, SWIFT has a monopoly on payment messages. So it's not as if there are easy other alternatives. So it would be very akin to a near comprehensive ban on any type of financial flows with Russia. Now, in proportionality terms, that would really mean you're making any type of transaction with Russia incredibly complex and you're basically cutting them out of the international financial system. That doesn't seem to be something which the Europeans at least are going to be willing to support. And I actually think the US administration have recognized that. And I think this is why we've seen less commentary around the SWIFT aspect. I think the US are being very careful on trying to achieve cooperation with their European allies. And if they pushed SWIFT, the potential response would be that they may not get cooperation on other areas, particularly around Nord Stream 2 or potential other targets that they're looking for the UK and Europe to align with them on. So for me, I think SWIFT isn't on the table. You know, you never know. It does really depend on the circumstances of an invasion and the domino effect. But an invasion into Ukraine, I do personally, and I could be wrong, I don't see SWIFT being sanctioned at this stage. If there was an escalation beyond that, and it started to have a much wider destabilization effect across Europe, then SWIFT could potentially come back on the table. You also asked about good practice. And I think the good practice there you were asking is what should financial institutions be doing now? Well, that was really something we were discussing during the summit. And we were trying to really look at what types of due diligence do we have to undertake now? How should people be mapping their exposure? Should they be reviewing contract clauses, for example? So we had a session around managing conflicts of law, and we would expect that if major sanctions come forth, that Russia will push back and they will try and bring in counter sanctions. And that could make a real challenge for people who have both a Russia and a non-Russia footprint. So in terms of good practice now, the advice that we're giving people is it is really essential you do now map your Russia exposure. You understand, do you have investments in Russia? Do you have people in Russia? You know, what type of securities exposure do you have? Are you exporting to Russia? To really look at that and to be very aware of if sanctions are forthcoming, what may you need to withdraw from and are you able to withdraw from that? So I think it's pretty clear that the threat of invasion has really unified the US, the UK and most of Europe. But there are clearly differences in approaches and Maybe it's helpful to talk a little bit about some of the differences in approaches, for instance, Germany and France versus the UK, and everybody's together, but what should we be watching for? What does it mean that there are some differences in approaches? And I think, as you've suggested all along, some differences in the exposure to the Russian economy and in some national interests. 
So the differences in approaches, you probably have two angles here. You have the legal approach. So what sanctions can people legally impose and how quickly? And then you have the political approach. Legally, the US, the EU and the UK have very different sanctions frameworks. At the moment, the US have very broad powers that they could utilize very quickly. So they could you know, really extend CATSA. There's been new executive orders we've seen come in. The US can act really quickly. And I think it's very, very clear that they have built up a whole portfolio of sanctions that they can impose immediately. And they can do that now in terms of their legal framework. The UK has actually had to bring in new legislation, which is currently passing through Parliament, and it will be passed within probably about a week's time. Now, they've had to do that because the legal framework that they currently had in place was probably far too limited for them to align properly with the US and do the types of sanctions that are being potentially discussed. So they will have that new legislation very soon. And again, that will enable them to enact very quickly. The EU is a different scenario because they need consensus across all the members. And some of these members will be much more cautious than others. And some will have greater push from their own private sectors. You know, for example, the Italian-Russian trading relationship is quite significant. Germany obviously has Nord Stream 2, but we've seen a lot of movement from Germany recently. So I think they'll cooperate on that. But in terms of just how broad those sanctions will be, I, I think it's actually going to be the EU. We're going to see the biggest dilemmas around. And there's two ways you could look at this. They are the closest to Russia. So it could mean that they may be even more willing to impose sanctions. But my feeling is they'll want to impose sanctions, but they may not be as forward leaning. At the moment, they're saying all options are on the table. But that consensus basis that they have to follow does slow things down. So I don't think we'll see the EU able to act as quickly. There's likely to be some delays. And the other thing to put out here is if the US brings sanctions forwards that the EU are fundamentally opposed to, they will wish to push back against those sanctions, particularly if there are secondary sanctions which apply to non-US actors and EU countries have decided it is not in their economic or security interest to oppose those sanctions. So the geopolitics here is really going to play in to the decision making, but the legal structures and the legal approval processes will also be influential. So we're focused right now in uh, both the questions and uh, I suppose in terms of what we talked about on the US, the UK and Europe. Any thoughts about how Asia, the rest of the globe will respond to sanctions in the event of an invasion by Russia? Again, I think how they will respond will be influenced by a number of elements. One will be, is there a true transatlantic agreement? And if so, that will make those sanctions much more meaningful and impactful. The other aspect will be, is there secondary sanctions provisions and what the US bring forwards? Because if there is, that will have an influencing factor on Asian companies. I do think you will see certain Asian companies naturally aligning with the US. I think you will see Japan, South Korea, countries which have closer security interests to the US and where there's other areas of close cooperation. I would expect to see them 
maybe not going as far, but I definitely would expect to see them align. The big question, obviously, is what will China do? And this, again, plays into that even broader sanctions geopolitical picture at the moment, because the sanctions framework at the moment between the US and China is not the happiest environment. You know, we have seen quite major bills passed, even one in December with the Uyghur Forced Labour Prevention Act. That is quite major for the Chinese, and that's having a significant impact. So I think there's going to be less room for cooperation between China and the US. You know, I think that's where we could see a quite a big gray area. So you mentioned this earlier. There is a great possibility that rather than a full-scale invasion, Russia could be behind a cyber attack or a paramilitary attack. And there's a lot of concern about how unified this current coalition will be in the event of some half measure, which of course, and when I say half measure, could still be very destructive. What can you say about that? I don't know what I can say about that, because to me, that's the most challenging scenario at the moment in terms of what do you do? What sanctions do you imply? How do you make them meaningful? And how do you make sure this remain a deterrent? Because if you go in too heavy and you impose too many sanctions on what is not a full-scale invasion, then you've lost that as a deterrent tool. And at the moment, the EU, the UK and the US are very, very much using this as a deterrent. I mean, I have never seen the threat of sanctions like this before. So if they then impose sanctions too soon, then what does Russia have to lose if they do do a full-scale invasion? There's another aspect I just want to throw on the table here. You know, there's been some speculation around, you know, should President Putin be sanctioned at this point in time? And, you know, would that help to de-escalate or should he be sanctioned if there's not a full-scale invasion, but there still is some other types of offensive activity? That's an area I don't also see happening. And the reason I don't see that is because no matter what happens within Ukraine, you are still going to have to see cooperation at the Security Council on other matters. And if you sanction a head of state, certainly somebody like President Putin, it makes cooperation much more difficult. And it also makes it more difficult to cooperate on the areas where we may see could be a tool for de-escalation. So, for example, arms control treaties, these type of conversations. So for me, I don't see that being on the table at the moment. But in this world of sanctions at the moment, I think anybody can be proved wrong at any time. It's very difficult to speculate. Well, we are just about out of time, Justine. I wondered if it might be a good idea just to kind of give the thumbnail points, other things that came up at the conference that would be really interesting for our listeners to hear about. Two or three things really quickly. I mean, clearly the whole compliance framework and just the complexity of expectations and how expectations have evolved, that really came up. And that whole, whether it's IP geo-blocking, identification, whether it's risk assessment, whether it's how you merge in corruption and forced labor. The other thing which actually stood out for me, there was quite a robust conversation around sanctions easing and actually how do you take sanctions off and how do they remain effective? But I suppose, you know, if I'm being completely giving a really good overview of the summit, the main topic, which after Russia would have been Afghanistan, 
that was a consistent theme. And, you know, we did have input from Kabul. We had humanitarian expert input. And I think the big thing there was the whole challenge for delivering this essential humanitarian life-saving aid is going to be dependent on financial channels and the willingness of the financial sector to process payments into Afghanistan. And there was so much conversation on that. How can we ensure appropriate risk management? How can we ensure clarity of the licensing arrangement? How do we just build confidence? And that was from everybody. You know, OFAC was very clear on the need to process payments into Afghanistan. The UN were, there was a big call for the financial sector to work with international bodies, governments, NGOs to ensure we can find ways to make that work. Well, I think that's a great note to close on. Dr. Justine Walker, Thank you so much for being here. And of course, as always, Justine, a pleasure. Kieran, thank you so much. Anytime. time.